Welcome to Victory Church Podcast. At Victory, we are committed to connecting people to God, His church and their purpose. For more information, visit victorychurch.net.au. Now prepare your heart to hear a word from God today. Well, this morning, as I've already mentioned, we were in the second part of our series, Eyes Wide Shut. And I looked at the schemes of the enemy. And we looked at one particular scheme, and I want to continue with that theme. So it's not part of our series, but it is a similar thought to what I had this morning. And I said, one of the great schemes of the enemy is to bring temptation into our life. He seeks to tempt us. And we looked at uh, the temptation of Christ. And that account is found in Matthew um, chapter 4, verses 1 to 11. And we looked at that, and you get on the podcast and listen to that in your own time. But I thought this, this particular subject is too important just to skip over it. And so I want to I continue the theme of temptation tonight. And the title of my message is simply this. A little temptation that led to a whole lot of trouble. A little temptation that led to a whole lot of trouble. See, there are many things that the devil uses to attack us, but one of his greatest methods is indeed temptation. For example, if uh, I told you about food, many of you right now would begin to start thinking about food. And uh, for me particularly, one of the things that tempts me, you know, I come to this church pretty much most days of the week, with the exception of my day off. And even then I find myself in here and I can pretty much say no to anything that's in the counter. But there is one thing that always catches my eye. There's always a little bit of a temptation to have one particular item in the cabinet over other things. I mean, there's healthy rolls. Uh, that doesn't really tempt me. There's yogurts, and I mean, well done, Judy. They look fantastic, but they don't really tempt me. Uh, there's other things that are there, but you know, they're, they're, I can just walk past and say no. And, and, and she does her best to upsell. Have you noticed that? You ask for coffee. Say, would you like a healthy roll with that? No, I don't. I would have asked if I, but no, I don't want one of those. But I'm just giving away my Achilles. I'm just giving, just letting you in on a little uh, piece of advice here. But you know, when I look at the vanilla slices. I mean, girlfriend, you could talk me into that. I'm telling you, just like a copy. Would you like a vanilla slice with that? I mean, you, 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 and honestly, I, 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 could, I, I could probably withstand for a couple of times. If you ask me three or four times, it's getting really hard. I mean, is there anyone else out there who loves vanilla slices? Not just any vanilla slices, the ones we sell in our cafe. I mean, those vanilla slices are amazing, aren't they? You're not convinced. I, I, I uh, whipped up something a little bit earlier. Just to prove my point, this is, the, this is the little beauty that I was talking about. I mean, this, this is just like, this is like heaven on a plate right here. I mean, it's just like, it's just so, look, it's messy. It's just beautiful. And I'm just going to have a little bit just to, um, just to, mm. Mm. Who, who would like some of this? That's the most response you've ever given me to anything I've ever said in 10 years. Oh, take, take it away, take it away. Oh, I'll have that after. If there's some left, Andrew. You know, 
I don't know if you were thinking about vanilla slices before tonight's service, but I can pretty much guarantee all of you are right now. And that's how temptation works. That's how it works. The devil puts a thought in our head and we begin to entertain it. And it's what we do with that thought that determines what we do with our life. Someone once said, temptation is a question, our response is the answer. Temptation is a question, our response is the answer. In James chapter 1, verse 13, it says, When tempted, no one should say, God is tempting me, for God cannot be tempted by evil, nor does He tempt anyone. But each person is tempted when dragged away by their own evil desire and enticed. Then after desire has conceived, it gives birth to sin and sin, when it is fully grown, gives birth to death. What James is saying here is that temptation is common to all. You cannot live on this planet and not be tempted. Jesus Himself was tempted. You and I are going to be tempted. It's part of the deal. The temptations that come our way not, may not be the same because one thing that tempts me may not be something that tempts you. I mean, if you put a whole heap of money in my pockets and put me in a casino, I will not be tempted to gamble because I'm just not interested in gambling. I'm not super disciplined. I'm not super spiritual. I just am not interested in that. It is not a temptation to me. Whack my uh, pockets full of money. I'll say, thank you very much. Put me in the casino. I'll say, thank you very much. And I'll leave the casino and I'll use the money for other things. I will not gamble it because it's not the uh, temptation to me. You give me cigarettes, that is not, you will not tempt me to smoke. It's just something that I don't want to do. Put a vanilla slice in front of me and it's a whole other story. <laughs> what is a, a temptation to me may not be a temptation to you and what is a temptation to you may not be a temptation to me. But know this to be true, temptation is coming your way. You cannot avoid temptation. It says when tempted in James, not if tempted. Wouldn't it be great if we just were left alone and weren't ever tempted? But we have been tempted and we will continue to be tempted. Can I just say this about temptation? Temptation is not a sin. I've already mentioned that Jesus was tempted, but He never sinned. So being tempted in and of itself is not a problem. It's what we do with temptation that will determine whether we overcome or not. And so this evening, I want to look at four phases of temptation. And I want to use an Old Testament character by the name of Lot. This man named Lot got himself into a lot of trouble. Yes, he did. He was tempted. And I want to look at the progression of the temptation and see where this man ended up. And to do that, we're going to have to go to the very first book in the Bible. It's called Genesis. Genesis is a book of beginnings. And we're going to read from verse 13. But let me just quickly give you a bit of background. Um, Lot is the nephew of a, a, a real hero of the Bible. His name is Abraham. Well, in actual fact, at that time, his name was Abram. His name was yet to be changed. But Abram, Abraham, same guy. 
And uh, he, he's like the father of our faith. He's, he's a real hero um, for all Christians and, 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 and those who have, have any Bible understanding and any Bible knowledge. And this young man, Lot, was the nephew of this father of our faith, Father Abraham. He had many sons. I am one of them and so are you. That guy, Father Abraham. Remember we sang that song in Sunday school? That's the guy I'm talking about. And uh, God blessed Abraham mightily and He blessed everything that He touched and He blessed everyone who was in His family. And so here is Abram with a whole heap of flocks and here's his, Lot, uh, his nephew Lot with a whole heap of flocks and then they've got servants. I mean, you know, and, and, and this, is, this is like rich man problems. And what happened one day, Lot came to Abram and said, look, my servants are arguing with your servants. These are rich man problems. Anyone got that problem? Your servants are fighting with next door neighbour's servants. Anyone? <laughs> Wouldn't you like that as a, as a problem, you know? But it was a problem nonetheless. Every problem, no matter what it is, is a problem. And this was a problem for them. And so this is where we pick up the story. Servants fighting. And so Genesis chapter 13, you can look at it on the screen. Genesis 13 verse 8 says, So Abram said to Lot, Let's not have any quarrelling between you and me or between my herds and yours, for we are close relatives. Is not the whole land before you? Let's part company. If you go to the left, I'll go to the right. If you go to the right, I'll go to the left. Lot looked around and saw the whole plain of the Jordan towards Zor was well watered like the garden of the Lord, like the land of Egypt. This was before the Lord destroyed Sodom and Gomorrah. So, Lord, uh, so Lot chose for himself the whole plain of Jordan and set out toward the east. The two men parted company. Abram lived in the land of Canaan, while Lot lived among the cities of the plain and pitched his tents near Sodom. Now the people of Sodom were wicked and they were sinning greatly against the Lord. The first phase of temptation is this, the flirtation stage. Abram and Lot were arguing. Abram being a man of God, having the wisdom of God said, how about we part company? If you say left, I go right. If you say right, I go left. And so what did, Abram, uh, what did Lot do? Being the young buck, he looks around and he looks for the best bit of land. And he saw the well-watered land toward the east. And so he said, I'm going there. And so Abram said, okay, that's fine. And so there was a catch. As well watered as it was, as beautiful as the land may have been, there were a certain group of people who lived there and they did wicked things, things that angered the Lord. And Lot knew that. And so he said this, it said, he pitched his tents not in Sodom, but near Sodom. He didn't sin, he didn't go into Sodom, he was just near it. You gotta catch this. He was flirting with the idea of being part of this city, even though it was corrupt. It would be too blatant to just go straight in. Now he just wanted to be near it. And so he pitched his tents just outside of a place called Sodom. Flirting is seeing how close you can get to something 
without touching it. How many of you have ever been minding your own business and been walking along and you saw a sign that had two words on it, wet paint? How many? Now, a normal person would just walk past, ah, wet paint, and just keep walking. Thank you for the warning. And just stay well away from it, wouldn't you? A normal person would do that. But there is something within us that wants to know, I wonder if it's still wet. (laughs) And I wonder how wet wet is. Is it sticky wet? Is it sopping wet? Or is it absolutely bone dry and they've just forgot to take the sign off? And, and, uh, and we find ourselves near it. We haven't touched it. Have you ever done this? Have you ever found yourself going, just wondering how close you can get before you touch it? You ever done that? Maybe some of you as parents, you've said, hey, kids, don't touch that. And so they go, okay, mum, okay, dad. So what are you doing? I'm not touching it. Yeah, but what are you doing? You're flirting with the idea of touching it. You want to see how close you can get without being guilty of actually touching it. I know I'm going to get in trouble if I do, but I just wonder how close I can get. Didn't touch it, Mum. I mean, I did this as a kid. This was like my favourite game growing up. And my mum would look at me and go, my word. I haven't touched it, mum. But what is it in us that just wants to see how close we can get before we touch it? How, how, how wet is wet paint? Among our young people, the question is often asked of us when it comes to dating couples, how far can you go as a young couple dating. And many of you would have you know, heard the analogy of a baseball diamond. There is first base. First base is kind of like holding hands. I mean, I think first base changes for some groups, but let's just start with holding hands. And, and as a young man, we were told second base is a thing called heavy petting. I don't know what that is, but it freaks me out. I don't ever want to be guilty of heavy petting. I don't even know what that is just seems weird to me. I love my wife. I've been with her for a long time. I don't know that we've ever heavy petted. I don't even know what that is. So I don't even believe in base two at all anyway. Even as a married man, I don't forget heavy petting. And then there's base three, which is kind of like no clothes, but you know, you don't don't actually sleep together. We're just kind of naked and we're unashamed. And then there's home run, which is, I think that's still the same, home run's a home run. (laughs) Just a home run. How far can you go on the baseball diamond? To me, it's the wrong question. It's just the wrong question. It's not how close to sin can we get without sinning. That, That should never be our desire. It should never be in our heart to want to be as close to sin as possible before we sin. And I I think essentially that is the question behind the question, can a man lose his salvation? 
I think essentially what we're asking is how, how bad can I be still without losing my salvation? And I think it's the wrong question. It's not about how close to sin I can get, it's how close to Jesus can I get. And if we're being close to Jesus and we're not married as a young couple, I think that's going to help you make decisions about what you do or do not do as a young couple that is dating. It's not about having laws and rules and regulations in place, but it's about loving Jesus. Amen. The more I'm in love with my wife, the less those other things are a problem to me. It could just be, and this happens often, particularly with Facebook and social media today, an old flame, an old girlfriend, an old boyfriend just happens to see you on Facebook and they want to hook up with you and it's great. Remember the times when, and we just want to go for lunch. Lunch is harmless. You can't get pregnant over lunch, can you? Where's that on the bases? I don't know. Anyone got pregnant eating a sandwich? My question is, there any, is there anything that you are flirting with today? What are you flirting with? Who are you flirting with? Lot was not doing anything wrong being near Sodom. He wasn't there. He, he knew they were wicked, evil people, but he wanted to be near it. Go to the nightclubs. I just want to be near the action. I won't, I won't drink. I won't sleep. But I won't. I just want to be there. I just want to be near it. Phase number one. Stage number one is the flirtation stage. Stage number two is the rationalisation phase. Picking up the story in Genesis 14, verse 11. The four kings seized all the goods of Sodom and Gomorrah. What had happened? There was this epic battle. There were five kings and five kingdoms against four kings and four kingdoms. You would think the numbers were in favour of the five. No. The four kings and the four kingdoms defeated the uh, five kings and five kingdoms. And as a result, they defeated Sodom and Gomorrah, which were part of the five kingdoms. It says, um, it took all their food and they went away. They also carried off Abraham's or Abram's nephew, Lot, and his possessions Get this, since he was living in Sodom. Here's a man who started his journey pitching his tents, not in Sodom, but near Sodom. And when these four kings decided to declare war on these five kings and destroy and take away and plunder and pillage, Sodom and Gomorrah were part of those cities. And look who happened to be in that city at that time. The same guy that pitched his tent near Sodom now is living in Sodom. Near enough wasn't good enough. Now he finds himself smack bang in the middle of it. See, when you rationalise, you tell yourself rational lies. When you rationalise, you tell yourself rational lies. See, Lot realised that he was near Sodom. But why live near Sodom when you can live in Sodom? After all, that's where the kids go to school now. 
And after all, if, I, if, I, if, I, if we move in there, we're going to save a whole heap of money on petrol. And you know what? The gym I've just joined is also in Sodom. So why make the long trek back into Sodom and out of Sodom and into Sodom and out of Sodom? Why don't we just live there? Because everything we do now is in there. And we tell ourselves rational lies. And so here's a man who was once near and now he's right smack bang in the middle of this city. How many of you have have rationalised speeding? Get caught speeding. You're like, oh man, I can't believe it. All these other guys are going much faster than me. These are, I, I, know these, I, I know these firsthand. These, these excuses are coming out of my mouth right now. I, I, I invented these ones. I know how to rationalise when it comes to speeding. And I was just in a hurry. And I'm going to church to serve in the house of the Lord. And I've even done that. I can't believe they just caught me out. I, I, you know, I hardly ever speed. <laughs> Whether you hardly ever speed or not, but if you get picked up on speed on that occasion, you're guilty of that. But it's in us. We just, we just rationalise. We tell ourselves rational lies. I'm sitting there. I find myself saying things that are just ridiculous. And we're in good company. Those that want to live together, get saved, come to Christ, and they've come together as a couple that was living together, and that, that's fine, you, you're welcome. But as we start to learn about the things that please God and the things that displease God, and we start rationalizing, oh, you know what, I could move out, but it's, it's more economical that we live together. And we start telling ourselves all these things to justify our behavior. And that's exactly what we see going on here in Lot's life. Making an excuse for something that's off-centered is rationalization. Which brings us to the third phase, and that's the transformation phase. We're going to pick up the story in Genesis 19 now. But before I do a bit of background, Lot had been living now in Sodom for about 13 years since we last read the account. And God was about to destroy the city of Sodom. And a couple of angels, angelic beings, left heaven to come down to earth to warn Lot. You've got to catch this. And we pick up the story in Genesis 19 verse 1. The two angels arrived at Sodom in the evening, and Lot was sitting in the gateway of the city. When he saw them, he got up to meet them and he bowed down with his face to the ground. My lords, he said, please turn aside to your servant's house. You can wash your feet and spend the night there and then you can go on your way early in the morning. It's amazing that we can act all religious and all spiritual. We can bow down, we can worship, we can offer hospitality as long as this man of God gets out of here quick smart. But here's my question I have for you. Why was Lot at the city gate? It was leaders of the city that sat at the city gate. Can you see the progression? Here's a man who lived and pitched his tents near Sodom. 
Now he finds himself living in Sodom. And now he's a leader of the city. That's transformation. You can't hang around sin and not be transformed for bad. You can't hang around sin and not get changed. And we find that happening here with Lot. He was living in Sodom, now he's leading Sodom. You can't flirt with sin without getting messed up. It will change you. It'll change the way you think, the way you act and the way you speak. Story goes on that these two angels did indeed go to Lot's home. And because Sodom was so perverse and so distorted, the people of the city, the men of the city, got wind that there were two visitors in Lot's home. And in the middle of the night, they banged on Lot's door and said, bring out these two men that we might have sex with them. I mean, I don't mean to gross you out, but this is the Bible. Don't ever tell me the Bible is boring, untrue or irrelevant. I mean, this, this is in your face stuff. Basically, there's this wild pack of animals, dogs, men, who say, bring out so we can gang rape these two men. And this is the solution this, lot, this man Lot came up with. The man who just wanted to live near the city. This is the solution. He goes and said, no, you can't do such a horrible thing. Here, have my two virgin daughters. This man has become so changed and so transformed and so perverted that somewhere in his thinking, he thinks it's okay to send his two virgin daughters out there to be gang raped by a bunch of thugs. He thinks that's okay. Can you see the progression? My question is, what father thinks like that? And where did this thinking start? How did he get to that place? Here's the answer to that question. Over time, gradually, we all drift. And unless we pull ourselves up, we're just going to drift away from the plans and purpose of God, just like Lot did on that day. I imagine 30, 13 years earlier, he never would have said that. He never would have thought that. Hey, Lot, how about giving your two virgin daughters to a, a bunch of thugs to be gang raped? Are, like, are you kidding me? Fast forward 13 years. Here, have my two daughters. Which leads us to the fourth and last stage, and that's this, this the destruction phase. Genesis 19, verse 24 to 26. Then the Lord rained down burning sulphur on Sodom and Gomorrah from the Lord out of the heavens. Thus He overthrew those cities and the entire plain, destroying all those living in the cities and also the vegetation in the land. But Lot's wife looked back and she became a pillar of salt. These angels convinced Lot and his family to run. But Lot's wife hankered after the past. She looks back and she turns into a pillar of salt. I mean, that's just, I mean, God has some weird ways of doing things. I mean, that's just crazy. I mean, like, really? That's, that's how you're going to do it? Okay, pillar of salt. 
You say, why pillar talk? I don't know. I'm sure there's a metaphor in there somewhere, but right now, just let me stay on point. But this we know. Lot lost his wife. See, temptation leads to desire. And desire leads to sin. And sin, the Bible says, leads to death. And that's exactly what we see taking place here. Lot's wife died. You may not physically die because of your sin, but it could be the death of a marriage. It could be the death of your finances, the death of your health. Sin will destroy you ultimately. The story goes on. Not only has Lot lost his wife, but they managed to find themselves a cave to live in. And so now he's homeless. He's, he's wifeless and he's homeless. And he's got his two daughters with him who've been gang raped earlier. And his daughters come up with this notion. Let's get dad drunk, sleep with him so that we can be impregnated to continue the family line. Now, if you rewind back, you know, 20 years and say, hey, hey, Lot, how would, your like, how would you like your Lot to be? Your wife dies because she turns into a pillar of salt. You end up homeless, wifeless. You end up getting drunk and impregnating your daughters. How would you like that for your life? What person out there, what father out there would say, yep, that's me, I want that. That's a great plan. That's a great purpose for my life. And that's exactly what happened a lot. And it was not his desire. But he found himself there. And it all started when he just started flirting with this city called Sodom, when he pitched his tents near the city. And he had a choice at that moment. Yes, it's tempting the land. Yes, it's tempting the water, the vegetation, but he knew those people were wicked. And he might have said, I don't care how good that land is, those people there are wicked. I'm staying the heck away. And his life could have looked oh so different. How do we turn it around? As our musicians come, two things, real simple things. And this is why I love the church. It would be really wrong of me just to leave it at that. But what I love about the church is a place of salvation. It's a place of hope. It's a place of answers. And, and so where to now? No matter what phase you're in in life, even if you're at the destruction phase, there's still a way forward for you. And the first thing is simply this, that we need to confess to God. In 1 John chapter 1, verse 9, it says, If we confess our sins, He's faithful and just, and He will forgive us of our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. Now, can I just say this about confession? Confession is not saying, God, I'm sorry, forgive me so I can do it again. That's not a confession. Confession means to say the same thing as God. It's to say the same thing. And when we confess, we say, God, it was wrong. I did the wrong thing. A confession is not saying, Lord, I'm sorry, but my wife made me do it. I've been tired. That's not a confession because that's not what God is saying. Confession is about saying what God says. We need to own our sin. We need to own our mistakes. We need to own our actions. 
And the Bible says if we'll do that, God's faithful and just. And he'll forgive us of our sins. When we acknowledge that we've done the wrong thing, there's incredible forgiveness. I know what it is to be a natural dad. And if our kids can own their mistakes and own their actions, no matter what it is, the natural response for me as a dad is just to forgive. If they want to play a silly game and say sorry, but you know, and blame one of the siblings, it doesn't wash with me. But if there is a brokenness of heart, if there's an ownership of action, it's real easy as a natural dad just to forgive people. As a pastor, it's easy to forgive people when there's that genuine brokenness. And when we come before God and say, Lord, I'm sorry. I did the wrong thing. It wasn't my wife's fault. It wasn't my kid's fault. It wasn't the fact that I was dropped as a kid. It wasn't the fact that I was a middle kid. It's my fault. I'm so sorry. And I'm most sorry that I've grieved you, Lord. The Bible says if we would do that, he's faithful and just. He'll forgive us of our sins. And he'll remember our sins no more. What a God we serve. Thank God we don't have a God like so many people think he is. And that's pointing the finger. Most people think God is this old man in heaven with a long gray beard and a miserable face and a crooked finger. Got arthritis. It's not the God I serve. It's not the God of the Bible. Confession is not just informational, it's transformational. You can change your life. And the second thing is not too dissimilar than the first, and that's to confess to others. In James chapter 5, verse 16, it says, Therefore confess your sins to each other and pray for each other so that you may be healed. Isn't it amazing? Confess to God and receive forgiveness. Confess to the people you need to and you get healed. Wow. That may be a physical healing, but it could just be the healing of a relationship. See, God's very forgiving, but there are some people you might need to speak to about what you've done. And if you just justify, I don't need to do that because I've been forgiven from God, that's cool. But when we confess to one another, and I know that makes people real nervous because a lot of people out there think of the church as a gossip place. And church is like one of the last people, places you want to tell anybody anything because everyone's going to know about it. I'm not talking about that. That's just gossip. That's not confession. That's gossip. Yeah, very good. I'm talking about when you've got something against a person and you go to that person and no one else needs to know anything about it. But you've confessed to God and you've confessed to that person. You can be forgiven. And you can be healed. And the relationship can be healed. Now, what the person does is up to them. That's out of control. But I believe if you do your part, God can bring the necessary forgiveness and healing in your life. And as a result, we can be set free from the grip of sin. And we can be given a second chance. Now, for Lot to do that, he still would have had a dead wife. He still would have had the consequence of his sin. But even with that, 
there's forgiveness and an opportunity to move on. We live in a broken world. We live in a world full of consequences of people's poor choices. And we as a church do not want to add to your pain by pointing the finger. But we do want to offer a hope and a solution. And we don't want to be couched in things that just we want to hear. We want to be couched in what the Word of God says. And I believe with all my heart, no matter what you've been through, no matter what you're going through, no matter what you're facing, no matter what you're doing, if we'll confess our sin to God and we'll confess one to another where need be, even though there will be a consequence, I believe that there can be forgiveness and healing for you to move on in God. And if you find yourself bankrupt as a result of choices, you may still be bankrupt, but you can be healed and forgiven. You might still be bankrupt, but given the choice of being bankrupt, not forgiven and not healed, I would go for healed, forgiven and still bankrupt. It's still a good deal. It's still a good deal. You may have lost your marriage. You may be divorced now. That marriage may be dead. You may not be able to get that back. But you can still be forgiven and healed and start a new life. And I believe by doing that, we can break free from the grip of sin. We can break free from the power of the hold that sin has our life. And when tempted again in the future, we can learn our lessons. And instead of getting this close, we can say, well, you know what? I've learned my lesson. I'm staying the heck away. Just staying the heck away. I've already lost one marriage. I've already lost a gazillion dollars. But as this kid with a second chance of forgiveness and healing, I'm just going to stay away. That, that's the power of God. That's the promise of the church. That's the hope of our future. Isn't that awesome? Thank you for taking the time to listen. If you have any questions, please email us at admin at victorychurch.net.au.